I met a strange man when I was in college. He was a uh, spiritual guy. His name was Jimmy Dorrell. And Jimmy was uh, not like anybody else I've ever met. He uh, was about this tall. He's missing the end of his finger. And so he would always put that finger up your nose, if possible. Especially if you're a stranger. He was a little odd. But he also, uh, he and his wife Janet had a great love for uh, the homeless, for those um, addicted to drugs and other things, uh, to the uh, orphan, adopted uh, a child, ministered in India, um, had many people live at their homes. They moved into the center uh, of Waco where... Uh, this was uh, back in, nine, in the early 90s when everything in center of Waco was a dilapidated and uh, just a terrible place. Um, and there he lived with his family and he raised his kids. Never met anyone like that. And so they, they would have service under the I-35 bridge. Still have it there today. They gather a few homeless people and had worship services right under the bridge. Started out as a small group, and now I think they have two, three, four hundred people meeting under the bridge every Sunday. Yeah. Baylor kids come over. Churches come and serve spaghetti for breakfast. Uh, it's a different kind of place. It's a different kind of man. But what I experienced is I got to hang out, and, and he would have college students over to his house, and uh, his house used to be a, a drug den. Uh, and so there was, you know, all kinds of interesting things up on the wall. Things had been covered over. I, I probably have some kind of disease that will show up later uh, from just rubbing up against the wall there. Um, but as we, we went to his house, we learned about world religion, and we learned about life and about people. And I, I don't think I'll ever get over that experience. This kind of great love for all kinds of people. There was always a homeless person who is sleeping outside. There was always people uh, with interesting stories, uh, with mental health issues that are coming in and out. And so uh, you need not watch uh, any TV. You could just look out your window because it was all there. Never quite gotten over that. Never met anyone quite like that. Today, I hope you meet someone else that's just like that. If you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we'll continue our series today. <laughs> We're going to do all of chapter 15, which is 31 verses, but don't get anxious when we spend almost all the time in the first two, so... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Pharisees and scribes. When they, uh, 
when they notice Jesus' general rapport with the culture, they said, now, he's claiming to be the Son of God. He's doing all these miracles. He's teaching as one with authority. And I believe deep down there was maybe just a little bit of hope that he might be the Messiah. I mean, they were looking for Messiah. They were looking for one who would come and save and rescue them. They searched the scriptures diligently. But when Jesus does all of these things that seem to qualify him for Messiah, he does these other things. They say there is no way that he could be the Messiah. You have to have all of them. And what is Jesus doing? He's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. He's not just walking their direction, but he's eating with them and hanging out with them. And he is giving, oftentimes he's giving them more attention than they are the Pharisees and tax collectors. And I mean the Pharisees. And when the Pharisees and scribes even get mentioned, Jesus is calling them out. Doesn't seem like that's the Messiah that was supposed to come. But here are the Pharisees and, and scribes, and they're, they're grumbling because Jesus is spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Grumbling. That reminds us, right, of the Old Testament. God's people were always grumbling, they weren't happy. It was uh, their contentiousness towards God. It was, in those days, the rolling of the eye. Oh, God. Here he is again. This makes no sense that he's with tax collectors. Now, before we like, just dismiss this attitude of the Pharisees and scribes, we have to understand tax collectors that's, were pretty bad people. So in that day, the tax rate in Palestine was probably 30 to 40%. And the Romans would hire Jews, and in fact, it's probably the other way around. The Jews would actually apply for like a licensing agreement in modern terms with the Romans. And they would pay in order to be a tax collector. And they would pay substantially. And so then they were recognized as tax collectors. So as people would come, they would inspect goods and they would, uh, they would levy the tax against them and collect the tax. Now, they got to not only enforce the law, they also had the opportunity to to evaluate the merchandise. And there was no standards in which to do that. So you can understand the, the great trouble that someone would be in as they came before a tax collector. They'd open up your package and say, oh man, that's worth 100,000 drachma. It's like, no way, I can't sell it for a half of that, a quarter of that, 10% of that. Well, I'm gonna have to tax you on it. And so they would tax them exorbitantly. And they would, you know, put the thumb on the scale. They would do all kinds of, in fact, they would even, uh, they, they would even uh, accuse people of smuggling so they could get hush money from them. And then they would also choose people, they would see people who were especially in difficult economic situations, who didn't have much standing in the community, and they would charge them a great deal uh, and tax more than they could pay. And then they'd say, okay, you can pay me back, but on interest and have great usury against them. The Jew on Jew usury was forbidden by the law, but in this case, they could get away with it. Can you see how the Pharisees did not think too highly of the tax collectors? No one thought much of the tax collectors. They were, they were politically, they were traitors. Economically, they were wolves. Wolves. Wolves, those who uh, take advantage. 
Do we have wolves today? Yeah, we have wolves. We might, you might think of those people who are, who take advantage of others, the primp, pimp, the drug dealer, the abuser, the racist, the ex-con, the unrestrained manager at work, the unfair landlord, wolves, that skimmer at Valeros, right? You know what I'm talking about? Wolves taking advantage, bad apples and law enforcement, heads of gangs, all those things, wolves, those who have their position and take advantage of us. They were, they were wolves, but also the tax gatherers were, were, were people that you didn't have any regard for. You didn't, the, you were not allowed to uh, eat. Well, not, not, not allowed is probably not the proper way to say it. You didn't want to eat with tax collectors. You didn't want to eat with sinners because their sin rubs off on you. And plus, it's just disgusting to eat with such kind of people. They weren't good company. And what did you have in common with them? They were in the church or in the synagogue, in the temple. They were considered worthless. They didn't contribute they didn't help. They were outliers. They are the today's alcoholic crackhead. No, they have nothing to do with me. I don't go to those same places, and they don't come to my place. They were worthless. And then they were also written off. You couldn't eat with them, they couldn't come into temple to worship. They, they were a different class, a different kind of people, the tax gatherers and sinners. They are, we have our own folks that are written off in our culture today, right? Somebody who uh, goes to Walmart and their cart's full of ding-dongs and orange drink and full of schlitz, and they put their, their card in, Right? There are those who are written off. There are family members. Family members who don't listen, right? Do you have those? Like we've told them over and over again, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep doing that. They have, they have taken a path that is antithetical to the way your family lives. They are not welcome at family reunions. If they're going to be at Christmas, you don't go. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nobody, you don't have those kind of people? You ever heard of They're always looking through the lens, the bottom of a 40-ounce or a fifth of whiskey. All their hopes are either rolled, tapped, or smoked. Their affections are only for those things that can be satisfied on Friday or Saturday night. They seduce and pay for what they want. And they have chosen bitterness and isolation. They're dead to you. They're dead to the rest of the family. They're dead to their friends. They're dead to the way they grew up. This is, these are tax collectors and sinners. And what's the problem? Jesus is spending time with them, 
which doesn't make sense. And so they grumble, and what does Jesus say? Well, what he does is, starting in verse 3, he gives three parables. And he talks about uh, three things, three things that have been lost. For you uh, Bible scholars, you know, whenever there are three things mentioned in the Bible, it is a way for the uh, writer or the speaker to highlight, to uh, italicize, to embold them so that you know, listen, this is really important. I'm trying to emphasize to you that this is really important. So Jesus tells three parables. The, the first parable is about a shepherd. And this shepherd has a hundred sheep. And Jesus says, now what happens if this shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he brings them back and he finds that there are only 99 here, that means that one is gone. And so he leaves the 99, we sing about that, he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one sheep. And he gathers the sheep and he brings them back on his shoulder and brings them back to the fold. And and Jesus says, and what does the shepherd do from there? Now sometimes we want to beat that one sheep, don't we? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says the shepherd takes the sheep and he calls to his neighbor and says, the one sheep that has lost is now found. And it says then that all the neighbors go, all right, that's awesome. When I was uh, hanging out with these shepherds and uh, these goat herders in Kenya, in Kakuma, they were telling me about how one guy was saying, you know, my grandfather had 400 goats. And he would call the goats in and he would look over these 400 goats and he could tell you just by looking which one was missing. Wow, that's like some real intense knowing of your animals. And this this shepherd does the same thing. He just looks at the sheep and he says, that one is missing. And he goes out and he finds the one that is missing. And so what's the reaction? The shepherd rejoices and he calls all those who are around him, his friends and neighbors, to come and rejoice. And Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And the Pharisees rolled their eyes. There he goes again. Then Jesus says, now there's another parable. He says, now, think about a woman. A woman who has ten silver coins. She loses one of those coins and she looks around to find it and can't find it. So she lights a lamp and she begins sweeping out the house. And as she's sweeping it out, she finds the one coin. And after she finds the one coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and they celebrate over this lost coin. And Jesus once again says, just so I tell you, There's more joy before the angels over one sinner sinner who repents. Are we starting to get the uh, idea here? Jesus loves the lost. Jesus loves the wolves. He doesn't call them wolves, though, does he? What does he call them? Sheep. There's a lesson for us there, isn't it? What we see as wolves, tax gatherers, these people who take advantage of we we have good reason to be angry at. We have good reason to get even with. Jesus doesn't see them as that. He calls them sheep. Sheep that are lost. Jesus is calling us to a different perspective as we look at the wolves in our lives. 
to see that they are lost sheep without a shepherd, to have mercy and grace for the wolves. I know some of our blood pressure is kind of building right now. If you're listening, your blood pressure should be building right now. Because Jesus is asking us to do something very difficult, to view people from a different perspective that is not a natural perspective, but is a supernatural perspective. That those people who are hurtful, who are mean, who take advantage of us and others, the most reprehensible kind of people, Jesus says to consider them as sheep who are lost. And then the big one, the third one, Jesus tells the story of a lost son. You know how this story goes. One of the most beautiful parables, if not the most beautiful parable in all the Bible, where Jesus said this man had two sons. And the youngest son came to him and said, I, I want my inheritance right now. And so the father gives him his inheritance. And he takes that inheritance and he says, and he goes to a distant place. And in that distant place, he, he spends all of his inheritance, all of his inheritance on wanton pleasures, the Bible says, on just doing whatever he wants. He's acting the fool. Truly, he's acting the fool in that place. So that there, the, the, the word comes back to the father and to his household. And they know that he is just lost, as my mom would say, lost as a goose. He's just out there. And he is acting so contrary to the way he was raised by his father. All those things he would say, never do these things. These are the things that he's doing. He is wayward and gone. What will be the response of the father? Well, the son then, uh, the natural consequences of actions take place. As he, he has to then go and, and he, he gets a job. The only job he can get is tending pigs which for a Jewish person, there's nothing worse. And now he's having to eat the food that the pigs don't want. And that's not even satisfying enough. And so he says to myself, he says to himself, it would be better for me just to go home. And if I went home, my dad, I know, will not take me back as a son. That's not the question. But maybe he'll take me back as a servant. Because even the servants live better than this in my father's house. a day of repentance. And so he walks, I'm sure, sheepishly back home. And his dad sees him from a distance. The father gathers up his robe and starts running towards his son. We've, have, we've had a lot of experience with this story. We know that Dads don't run like that in that culture. It would be uh, embarrassing to see him act like that. But you see, the father's been waiting for the son for a long time. And it has appeared as if the son would never return. And now he's returning. The father receives him back. He tells the uh, servants to prepare the fatted calf and they have a big party. They call in all kinds of folks. And they have a celebration. Meanwhile, the older brother, who's not in the house, he's probably out working, doing what his dad's asked him to do. He hears the music. <laughs> and he asks one of the servants, what's, what's going on? He said, your brother is home. What? 
Yeah, he came back and your dad is having a big party for him. Come on. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Not even a goat. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, brother, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right? And the tax collectors, they're welcomed. And the Pharisees rolled their eyes. Do you see this beautiful picture? That person who is dead to you, a person who's dead to you, who has willfully chosen to go the other way, as much as you've told them, the end is death and destruction, and they've turned their back, and you're tired of waiting, I would encourage you, wait some more. Pray some more. Because our Lord is still looking for them. For that person here today who knows the story of the younger brother oh so well, because you've lived it, maybe you're in the middle of it right now, I want to tell you there's a father who is waiting for you. And he can't wait to see you. Come back to him. He receives you with open arms. And he's ready for a party. That's good news, isn't it? Many of us in this room, I would say probably most in this room, have experienced that embrace. It's a beautiful thing. Now my question to that person who's, the, who's lost today, do you know that you are loved and sought after? Jesus wants to make a way for you to come home so that you can be right with him, that you can be at peace with him, that the shame that you have lived in can be removed. And that's the part of it, like, how, do you, how can you go back after all that you've done? I want to tell you, you can go back because Jesus loves sinners. He loves them. Jesus loves wolves. He loves them. You don't know what I've done, Pastor. No, I don't. But Jesus does, and he sat with people just like you because he had, a good, he had good news. Jesus didn't come for the well. He came to heal those who were sick. Now, my question is, since, since the majority in this room have received that embrace today, are we going to be like the Pharisees? Or are we going to be like Jesus? Who do you spend time with? Who's on your invitation list? Is it people who are just like you? People you feel comfortable with? That's the easy thing, isn't it? But Jesus says, we need to spend time with the lost. 
And the lost, by definition, are people we have to seek after. They're lost. Will we be a church that is known as more pharisaical or more like Jesus? Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves, loves lost people. And he loves when they repent and we should celebrate. That should be like the song of our church as we regularly celebrate as more and more people come to him. Are you faithful in your witness? Are you faithful in in making relationships with people who are lost? Stepping out of your comfort zone and inviting people in or going to their place or setting up uh, dates, dinner dates with them? Do you find your place near people who are tax collectors or wolves? Do you care about them or have you written them off? We as the people of God need to have our eyes open for our neighbors. Not not just for their physical needs, but for their spiritual needs. Those who are being, who are having a difficult time with life and those who are even oppressors. That's our call. My prayer for our church is that we be a church that's faithful and seeking the lost as individuals and as a church. So when there's opportunities, even as a church, to participate, reach out to folks. Maybe it's, it's our crossover uh, basketball camp. You can participate in that. Maybe it's just changing your schedule or, or be think, being more mindful of the people uh, in your sphere of influence. Be mindful of that person that you have written off. Write them back in. Don't let them be dead to you, but anxiously await the Lord to do his good work. And then we look forward to that day in which more will come to him. And as we are the people of God with the angels in heaven, we'll rejoice.